Hey there, Blenders. On this week's show, a big box office weekend. New films are going to be hitting theaters and streaming, and we are reviewing Lightyear. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, Blenders, and welcome. Welcome to episode number 218 of Real Blend, a podcast that can finally stop saying Larry Crown. At the end of every single episode, my Still name is say Sean O'Connell. Say you can't stop me. <laughs> uh, the managing editor here at Cinema Blend on this week's show. We have a big box office weekend that we want to discuss and plenty of new films hitting theaters and streaming that we're going to give you reviews for, uh, including Lightyear, <laughs> the latest from Pixar, starring uh, Chris Evans and not Daenerys. Daenerys, I'm very sorry. There are no dogs. Actually, there's a cat in this one. Socks. who's adorable. <laughs> I'm sorry that there's a cat in there. Uh, <laughs> uh, joining me each week is Daenerys' owner, <laughs> Jake Hamilton of Fox 32 in Chicago. Hi, Jake. I like to consider myself Daenerys' dad. That's uh, fair. I yeah, like we, that. We don't, we don't use the O word. You even, oh, I'll, I won't bring that up. I'll talk about that off the air. Uh, Kevin McCarthy is not here. Uh, he is traveling to a wedding in San Francisco, uh, but joined in the in the third chair, stepping on up for the week is Gabe Kovach, our producer, who uh, to, you have to forgive all of us for being really exhausted this week. Uh, oh, yeah. Long, <laughs> Great long, energy to start the show. Yeah, there's it's a lot of travel. <laughs> We're so tired. Uh, horror stuff that happened. But Gabe took the brunt of it uh, on his way back from Memphis. Hi, Gabe. Yeah. How are you? I am. I am good, folks. Uh, we will we will divulge more of that story uh, in the coming weeks. Um, it revolves around us getting Tom Hanks on the show, which is fantastic. But yeah, it's been the heck of the uh, last 24 hours. Or Gabe, so. I have to ask, is Sean aware of like the travel curse that apparently surrounds you? Like that little cloud over the Truman show? Like, uh, that, that, like what, I don't, I don't know what you did in a former life to I anger the, the, yeah. the travel gods, but, but you have the worst luck of anyone I've ever it met f- in my entire life. It feels like a pattern. It feels like a pattern. Yeah. Why well, even just, I know from the Tarantino one where you were rushing to meet us. Exactly. Uh, up in New York City. That was one that stood out. Like Go back canceled. and listen to that episode, yeah. whatever number it is. It's a fun one. Anyway, yeah, more, more from that soon. More from that soon. If you're watching us on YouTube and we look exhausted, I'm really sorry. But thank you for joining us. Uh, head down. Give us a like and a subscribe. I still look Turn great. Turn on your notifications. Jake looks the best out of all of us, 100% sure. Uh, if you're an audio listener and you want to see what we look like, uh, go to youtube.com backslash Podcast. Of course, <laughs> they log available. on and like, ugh. Oh gosh, I'm going back to the <laughs> audio. Going back to audio. Uh, Some people have said that. Some people go, "Wow, they look nothing like I would have thought." And it's like I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. So I, it's terrifying. Yeah, I, I kind of i i have that's i have that with a few podcasts I listen to on the regular where I have 
images of the hosts and then i end up seeing pictures of them i'm like oh no that's not well it's the same thing like uh, like i remember years ago when we all used to listen to the radio like and then you see pictures of djs like it doesn't matter what they look like it's just not what you picture in your head right if you would like more of this uh we're available at real blend premium which is something special you can get for five dollars a month where you get an ad-free version of the show and an extra segment every single week that we drop on mondays you know what we're doing this week, Gabe? I'll announce at the end of the show. On right? Mondays? Oh, we're doing a mailbag. We're doing oh, a mailbag. We're doing a mailbag. So for, I'll, I'll go ahead and mention that now. We're doing a mailbag this week, and eagle-eyed listeners might be like, wait, don't you do that at the end of every month? Um, we usually do, but given that next week, I'm just going to keep saying it as, as often as I can. Um, Tom Hanks is joining us on Real Blend. And so for the it's premium ridiculous. feed... Oh, excuse me, Gabe. Gabe, I, I believe it's yeah. Mr. Tom Mr. Hanks. Mr. Tom, Tom, Mr. Tom Hanks. As he asked um, us to call him. Yes. Uh, so so the week following that, which would typically be a mailbag, we are going to do our uh, full sort of behind the scenes story time on the premium feed. We'll discuss story behind time. the scenes stuff on the main show, of course. Um, but including my, well, Jake and I's travel mishaps. Um, I'm, I'm going to call it yours. And, and I just somehow got wrapped up into it. Cause I have, <laughs> I have a great history of travel. So <laughs> I, got, I got wrapped up in your hurricane of madness. All of that is to say uh, it's a mailbag. We're going to do a mailbag. Yeah. In a way it feels like we're soft shooing around the Tom Hanks and we're not, um, but, but it feels like it needs its own episode. And that episode should be next week. Which yes. is when and and Kevin's not here. You're so right. it, it Kevin's would feel, here. it would feel wrong to, Absolutely. to talk about the Tom Hanks experience uh, without Kevin there. Well, we got Tom Hanks for the show. We got Tom Hanks on the show. <laughs> friend, of, friend of the show, Tom Hanks. Which, uh, if you know Jake, knows it's uh, it's insane for him and was was uh, ridiculous for the rest of us. So uh, in the meantime, while you're waiting for Tom Hanks to drop for the full Tom Hanks interview to arrive, uh, we dropped earlier this week a bonus episode uh, of Real Blend, which is a spoiler filled conversation uh, with Colin Trevorrow, who is the director of Jurassic World Dominion. And regardless of what you thought about that film, because we're going to have reviews of that a little bit later, I'm going to be able to tell you guys what I thought of it. And the boys put it on there. Uh, they reviewed it last week. And I think and it, no, we're adding it to the tier list this we'll week. Yeah. Um, he still had great stories. He had tremendous stories about working mm-hmm. on that franchise, uh, collaborating with Spielberg, uh, talked a bit about leaving the franchise to go to Star Wars and um, and the ability to come back to it, to finish up, to pick up from where Jay Bayona left off. Uh, so it's a really it's a really interesting conversation. And he's a good storyteller. Like I, yeah. I give him credit uh, in the interview for being really, really engaging. We were the last interview that he was going to be doing wow. on this press tour. Yeah. Uh, and he just kind of let it all hang out. And, so, he, um, and he gave us a tease about what he's doing next, which is really cool. But I, yeah. I do want to say I do want to highlight just because. Um, maybe some people need a refresher, but we have a lot of new listeners who maybe haven't experienced this with us in the past. Um, just from like conversations I've seen happen online or some feedback, people think that like, if we don't like a movie, why would we interview someone or like, or what our experience, like Mm -hmm. why that experience seems awkward or something like that. But one thing we've learned doing this show and we, and you guys know, as people who do it all the time, whether you like a movie or not, does not mean that it wasn't made by passionate people who have really sure. interesting things to say or that, or that the story of making that wasn't interesting. Mm-hmm. And we learned that a long time ago, whenever we had, um, you know, there were maybe somewhere like, man, I really didn't like this. I'm a little worried that this interview is not going to be good. Like that people aren't like, we're going to feel weird. Like we were worried about how it, the vibe of it. And we've learned that time and time again, that um, some of our best interviews are for movies that we yeah. didn't necessarily like. Uh, but the people that make them are very interesting and are mm-hmm. trying and are trying to make a good movie. Yeah. And, and just because a movie doesn't work for us, you know, 
that means what it means. But so if you have, if you, if you're thinking of skipping it, cause you're like, I didn't like it or they didn't like it. Why would I check that out? I implore you to check it out because yeah. he is a, he is seriously a fantastic guest. And anytime we're able to do an interview um, that allows the sort of spoiler wall to come down, it's totally different vibe and it's a lot of fun. So. Also, I want to throw an extra bit of love over to uh, Jeremiah Zagger, who is the director of Hustle. Yes. Because yeah. so many people are coming up to me afterwards and saying that they have seen the movie and, and really loved the movie. And they're like, oh, my God, I'm so surprised at how good that is. Yeah. Um, go back and find our interview with him. He has great stories to tell about the making cool. of of that film. So and, that's and, hustle, hustle director, uh, Jeremiah Zegger. Another thing that's great and worth checking out Sean's interviews with the cast got great stuff and, uh, worth checking out on, thought, um, the, the YouTube. I thought Jake was going to plug his own stuff. I thought he was like, and you know, while I'm here, very sweet. Thank you, Jake. I appreciate that. <laughs> They're great addition, I hope, uh, by the time this drops, I will have my, um, interview package from the cast of the wire. Uh, oh, live. I can't and believe I, you got to do that. I listened back to that uh, yesterday and it was it's rare that I'm going to sing the praises and, and feel happy with the way something turned out. But I'm I'm very happy with the way that that turned out. It That's incredible. 20th anniversary think, press day for The Wire. And, and it was incredible. Uh, it was outstanding. I, I promise to whoever's listening to this and looking at the runtime and going, have they even really started the show? Um, I will say one final thing. <laughs> you guys want to here. <laughs> Today, Sean, I, I finished the package for Elvis. Oh, nice. Um, I think you're really going to enjoy it. I was able to include... I, I know some of the, some in-person stuff has happened. I don't know if, if this is your first in-person in a long time, or this is definitely the first of this scale. Well, we like did we, Top Gun. Top Gun, that's right. Um, yeah. But I was able to include, uh, hopefully by the time people are listening to this, it'll be up. I was able to include like a fun reel at the end of it um, with a bunch of things that would not happen on a Zoom call. A lot of fun little interactions that you have. Oh, cool. Uh, with the cast that are kind of one-off. It, it was cool. I, Ooh, I'm I, excited I, maybe, to see this. Maybe I just felt I was all excited because... You know, Zoom interviews just feel a little bit different than, than when you get to do all the stuff in, in person. So I had to include it so people could feel like good. Oh, man, that's Love that. great. I can't great wait to work, see that. my friend. Thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, thank part you. Thank of the you reason very much. Why I'm, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, part of the reason why I'm plugging Colin Trevorrow is because despite our uh, thoughts on his film, uh, Jurassic World Dominion crushed at the box office and continues this trend of. Uh, people feel ready to go back to the movies. Uh, it earned $145 million domestically and it crossed $405 million uh, worldwide in its first weekend, which, you know, by every standard, that's a that is a massive win for uh, a sequel that is coming off of a chapter that maybe not a lot of people loved. I, I <laughs> That's the consensus on Fallen Kingdom, right? I mean, I know I didn't really care for it and I don't I think, like I don't think the rest of us really cared for it, but is uh, it? Kevin likes it. Kevin, Kevin does. Kevin, yeah, yeah. He gave it like a an A McCarthy? Or, or something like that. I'm pretty sure that's the one he liked. Fallen Kingdom. Dominion? Oh, Dominion. Sorry. No, I thought no, you said Fallen, I thought you said Fallen, no, Fallen Kingdom. Kingdom. I was talking oh, about Fallen, Fallen Kingdom. Kingdom. Fallen I'm Kingdom. saying it's coming off of Fallen Kingdom, which oh. wasn't really that great. And then but I guess it's the lure of the of the uh legacy characters coming well, back and, and people curious about that. It's Rotten Tomatoes doesn't necessarily mean anything, but this yeah. is one of those examples where it was like a hard rotten on the critic side. And then okay. as people saw it, it's like I last I saw it was in the 80 percent, which is, you know, just means like audiences are enjoying it. So it's the sort of thing that, you know, audiences at this scale like different things than necessarily people who see as many movies as we do um, okay. enjoy. So whatever, wait, there's a whole, I'm sure case study and film class to be taught on, on that discrepancy or that disparity rather. Um, but yeah, I mean, some people seem to like it. And what we're getting at now is, 
options, choices at the box office for when you go. Right. Uh, you know, now we're going to have a couple of blockbusters uh, competing against each other, which is something that we haven't necessarily had in a long time. If something like a Doctor Strange dropped, it usually had its own window for a good three weeks. Whereas now, especially with Lightyear coming out on mm -hmm. Friday, you're going to have the ability to choose between Top Gun Maverick, Jurassic World Dominion and uh, Lightyear. And in and addition to Thor's run things, on heels, Thor's on its heels. The black phone is on its heels. So there's there's stuff coming. Um, yeah. In addition to Jurassic World posting and I, personally, let me start by just saying I'm, I was stunned by that number. Like, I think that that number is enormously high for a movie that I didn't think what did you expect that interest. You know, I didn't even stop enough to think about it. But if I had to guess right now, I would have put it somewhere around 90. Nah, uh, it was always going to break 100, man. You think so? Yeah, really? man. Big dinosaurs screaming to people. Hey, they got little yeah. dinosaurs, too. You they got little out. dinosaurs, too. I can do let's more than anything. Bunch of locusts. All so, the locusts so you can. So locusts. many locusts. <laughs> and, and a clone. That clone girl. And, and that clone uh, girl. <laughs> Yeah, I just <laughs> who would have thought to, that we'd be <laughs> describing a Jurassic movie as the one with the locusts and the, the clone locusts. girl. <laughs> yeah, they really uh, explored some interesting things. So I was I was stunned by that number. Uh, that is really, really impressive. But even more impressive, uh, Top Gun Maverick. adds another 51 yes. million point uh, eight to now make it the highest grossing uh, domestic film. Fifty one. 51 million, which is like there are, there are a whole category of films that 51 million opening would be like, we did it. Like, I mean, that's I mean, 51 million opening isn't that far off from what his mission movies normally open to. Yeah. Yeah. And this, and this is, is week four. This is week three, three, yeah. three, three, four. Yeah. And still pulling it in. Um, I can only go by what I've. So we've been lucky enough to lately the past two weeks attend a number of graduation parties, high school graduation parties. And I can't tell you the number of people who have come up to tell me that they've gone to see Top Gun, that this is the first movie they've gone back to since the pandemic has hit. And they haven't had a need to go back to the movie mm -hmm. theaters, but they went back to see this and were floored. And mm -hmm. so many people say, I'm, I'm going again. I want to see it again on the big screen. It's just so successful as a crowd pleaser, which I think is tremendous. And um, the fact that it's the highest domestic grossing film right now that and that's not a Marvel movie, which I'm pretty sure Marvel has held that status uh, for at least the past 10 years. They've had a movie because it was Doctor Strange right before this that uh, Top Gun had to essentially top. Uh, so I think that this is tremendous. Let me ask both of you. These numbers uh, suggest a continuation in some way, shape, or form, do they of Top do Gun? they figure out some way to continue the Top Gun story, whether it be with Tom Cruise or whether it be a spinoff with a? Uh, I really hope pilots. not. I, I really hope yeah. not. I mean, that's I that's always my concern whenever we have these like breakout astronomical, like once every 20, 30 years sort of situations like this, that Hollywood learns the wrong lessons yeah. from this. Uh, Gabe and I were in our extended stay at the Memphis international airport, we had, we had many long conversations. And one of which was my fear that Hollywood is now again, learning the wrong lessons and trying to figure out what's the next legacy sequel. And they're, right. they're looking at Henry Thomas thinking, well, he could have kids uh, and ET could come back and talk to his kids or they're, or they're poking around Richard Dreyfus going, what if you got back on a boat? And a shark came back. <laughs> like it's, I, I just, I feel, I feel like in true Hollywood fashion, they're going to look at everything that worked about Top Gun and why Top Gun Maverick worked. And all they're going to focus on is 
eighties movie yeah. and it came back. Right. Like that's, that's all they're going to get from it. I, I hope their answer to the success of Top Gun Maverick is not more Top Gun Maverick. Yeah. I, I, I agree with Jay. He and I did have that discussion. I agree with Jake about um, that. So we're going to see more legacy sequels pitched um, to us uh, potentially. Uh, but Top Gun feels different and maybe this has changed, but the, but the, the narrative and the sort of thing that they were a part of the thing that they were selling it on was Tom Cruise since the first one came out was like, no, we're never going to make a sequel. And especially after Tony Scott died, it was like, we're, we can't touch this because this is, this is sort of hallowed. This is, this is sacred ground, uh, Mm -hmm. in Hollywood and Tony Scott is, you know, who he is and we wouldn't want to disrupt that. And it wasn't until there was a story presented that moved him enough that he was like, oh, this is exactly what this needs. Mm. I assume he maintains that. Um, I assume that this didn't like, you know, break some sort of seal where he's like, well, let's just start the Top Gun franchise. Um, So it has to have some story that makes sense. And what I don't know, but I assume is that they're not going to want to do it without Tom Cruise Um, because it kind of feels the wrong lessons that Hollywood is really uh, eager to learn. Uh, as Jake mentions, I don't think they're going to take, I don't think they're going to look at Top Gun and say, well, we could do this without Tom Cruise. Yeah. I, I well, don't think but, they'd say that. But, but the only pushback I'd give you there is that Miles Teller and Glenn Powell have become extremely popular on social media yeah. and with the younger demographic, which is responding to this Top Gun the way that we'd responded to the first one. Uh, the way through, which okay. is a successful thing for this movie to happen. It shouldn't just be a legacy play. But you know, is, so many times they introduce the new characters and right. no one really cares for them. You just want like in Scream, you just want Sydney and Gail to show up. But, right. you know, if well, they, well, people Top really has, dig. Top Gun has this inherent problem, though. And in Top Gun Maverick is part of its brilliance is that it it puts this awesome mission um, is the goal that they're working towards. And, and we get to see that mission come out and we get to see this Two actual miracles. Two miracles and this this amazing you know fights or uh, uh, battle scene, all this stuff, all that all that action at the the end of it is great. But like, if you're gonna make another Top Gun, like it, it, Top Gun is a school, you know, like Top Gun is about mm-hmm. them learning to fly. And I are they just gonna create like a Netflix series that is student? Like, I I just don't I don't narratively I don't see where it makes sense. For those it would characters be to come like back the equivalent. Be, uh, it, it'd be like the equivalent of like doing a, making a movie about dinosaurs that break out of a theme park and then making five more of them okay it just makes no sense but i think it makes less sense sense. i think it makes less sense in that top gun is very specifically about these um young pilots at a a prestigious pilot school and it's like you do know we have 10 fast and furiouses right yeah yeah but that's my point though like it's not top gun like it's just here's a you know and and also tell her in a different thing i feel like a huge narrative of maverick was sort of this novelty of, especially in this day and age of green screens and special effects, this novelty of real practical action, like tangible jets that these actors were, were sitting in. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you're only going to impress people with that once. Like you can't, you can't yeah. come back with that in, in three years and go, Hey, that thing that really, we're doing it again. And everyone's going to go, okay. All right. I mean, sure. Sure. I guess. The legacy Tom Cruise sequel that I want to see is risky business. I want to see his character as a parent, with a kid uh, also feeling his oats kind of thing. And uh, I feel like there's a story there 
somewhere. <laughs> the shot in the trailer is him like slowly pulling out a drawer and then pulls out like the whitey tidies. He's like, I ne- he's like, I never thought I'd be back again. <laughs> I never thought I'd have to put these back on. <laughs> it's a whitey tidy sitting next to the, the sunglasses. Wait, you call them whitey tidies? Yeah. T- I thought they were tidy, tidy whiteys. Tidy whiteys. I don't know. I don't wear them, so I that, well, let's cut that part out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm keeping that in. No, I'm keeping that in. Tune in next week to find out what kind of underwear Jake does wear. Yes, tune in to premium. That's a premium conversation. Oh my God. We are right. so tired. So I am going to review Jurassic World Dominion because by the time we talked about it last week, I had not been able to see it. Um, and one of the things, the, the, the only thing that I could really say about it, uh, unfortunately, is that it is completely forgettable um i a week after the fact i don't know i don't know how long it's been since i've seen it now at this point i could not tell you specifically what happens in the end of that film i remember i remember certain scenes from it um but i can also really remember zoning out i can remember zoning out in the middle of it not necessarily processing what is happening or even caring what is happening um the two storylines i know this much the two storylines the one with the locusts and the one with um chris pratt trying to uh rescue both the uh clone girl that he has adopted and and blue's daughter blue's child um these storylines are do not match they do not and there's no way for them to crisscross properly uh and the way that they bring me back or try to do it uh, by bringing Dotson and his uh, lab and everything sort of, you know, coalescing uh, together in that bit is none of it makes any sense. Um, the, the explanations they have for it are really, really dumb. And since neither of the main subplots involve dinosaurs, they instead have dinosaurs popping up in every single scene. Like every single scene is a new dinosaur popping up to chase the leads. And it's never scary. Um, the, 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 the motorcycle chase scene through whatever city they were hopscotching to was it Madrid. Where were they? Um, was exciting, but I'd instantly forgotten the the minute it happened. I actually ended up liking Fallen Kingdom, a movie that I dislike heavily. Uh, I like it more than this because at least it had, it had its distinct halves, but those halves were telling stories. It was like. How do you get uh, back to the island and get everybody off before the volcano hits? And then it was the the dinosaur auction where they introduced the fact that they'd cloned a cloned a girl. There was no way for the legacy characters to come into this and make a whole heck of a lot of sense. Uh, Jake has mentioned before, and I can't not watch uh, Jeff Goldblum without uh, paying too much attention to that. He plays Dr. Ian Malcolm in a, a different way than he's ever played him before. Like it's like he's you mentioned, you said he's forgotten how to play Dr. Ian Malcolm, a character that he basically helped to create. Um, I thought Laura Dern was great. There was a moment when Laura Dern and Bryce Dallas Howard were on a mission together. And I thought, like, give those two a movie. Yeah, I don't want to see what those two are doing because they seem like they care. Um, but Chris Pratt has lost his edge as a as a action hero leading man. I'll be curious to see how he looks in the next versions of the of the Guardians, because I kind of feel like he's been. That's an inherently much more interesting character than Owen from Jurassic. I I mean, like I couldn't genuinely couldn't name like three or four attributes about his character over the course of, uh, you know, it's it's, you know, generic Indiana Jones. I also find it remarkable how far those characters have come from how they're introduced in Jurassic world. Mm-hmm. Like she is the, uh, the head of a, of an amusement park 
theoretically. Yeah. And by this one, she is like Laura Croft. Yeah. You know, like the things she's able to pull off. And even him, he is at best an animal trainer. Yeah. You know, the animal well, happens to be raptors. I was going to say. Yeah. The animal happens to be raptors. But sure, like sure. in Jurassic World, it was a pretty big deal when he got onto a motorcycle to ride alongside the raptors to chase after them. You know, like he was not born this inherent, like you said, Indiana Jones type thing. And in this one, he is just sliding across the ice and swimming underneath everything. And I don't know. I I feel like that movie, I feel like that franchise has lost its way after the Lost World. And uh, and I liked Jurassic World, but then Fallen Kingdom and Dominion have not been have not been good movies uh, up to this point. So how long uh, until they found find no pun intended, how long until they find a way to uh, bring it back? Because of that money, Hollywood yeah, always finds money. a way. Isn't that the quote? Hollywood always yeah. finds a way. Yeah. Well, they've Hollywood already talked about. Uh, is it Dewanda Wise, the character who's introduced um, that actress, uh, that that she might get a spinoff, or it, fans would like to see her get a spinoff? But then, like, and- what is what is is the story just now? Stories within this planet in which dinosaurs are roaming around. I'm cool with that. That's what I thought this one was going to be. To be it's honest, just, with you. it's just different. Like like a heist movie with dinosaurs. Yeah. It's just different, you know, well, we romantic comedy with dinosaurs. (laughs) Jake, you and I, I think it was during our tier list. I think it was during our tier list uh, episode. You and I talked about that. It sounds like, um, I forget if it was about this or not, but it sounds like these movies just need to become smaller. Like we're like this whole, like it has to be the end of the world and it has to be the whole world is involved and this, that, and the other. And these people who are saving it, have to be have to have the weight of the world on their back, right? Because um, well, it's called Jurassic World, but but we t- we landed on like Jurassic Park, the original that mm-hmm. can't be touched. It, no yes. matter what they do, I don't think could be touched. But I'd love someone to pick up that challenge. Um, it was a small movie, like it's not a small movie. It's a giant summer blockbuster and one of the best ever made. But it was about a small group of characters in a park that was shut down, and they and and they. They gave them the circumstance of the the uh, dinosaurs getting out. What happens next? And they and a great storyteller just took that small, simple thing and then gave us all these exciting moments that happen. Um, but like what Sean's describing is they have five different storylines with 30 different characters, and it has to run the scope of the small moment between Chris Pratt and his dinosaur and how it's affecting the global world. Um, I would love to have, you know, in the way that like, the Navy SEALs train dolphins to do whatever. Like, okay, let's have some velociraptors that are just on like a oh, military God, mission. Like, uh, I, that I sounds silly, but, but but you're I think you're putting the wrong image in your head. Like, just imagine we talk about like the animated the animated show, like serialized stories. Like, I'm happy if they just want to take a world where dinosaurs exist and then tell other formats and other stories with that just being a fact. I always find that more interesting than how do we make it bigger, which is the when you're when you're sequelizing something, that's always the central question. How is it bigger now? How is it Actually, more dangerous? I, I've got it. I swear that the military dinosaurs uh, was a subplot that this was uh, oh, it was, was going to explore. Yeah, Jurassic. Yeah, Jurassic. At the time, when it was going to be Jurassic Park four before it turned into Jurassic World. There was yeah, there's a, a militarized Velociraptor plot line, which they kind of play with a little bit um, in Jurassic World. And then also yeah. remember there was um, the human dinosaur hybrid. Um, oh, that they talked about, uh, like you can find, I think you can find some of the images that they'd start. Okay. I've got a pitch and which is going to sound crazy considering how much I love Jurassic park. 
And by no means am I pitching remaking Jurassic Park, but it's very different from the book. The Steven Spielberg mm-hmm. is it's movie, as perfect as it is, is very different from Michael Crichton's novel. I would be interested if Universal went page for page, hard R, like version of Jurassic Park. Okay. Like, the, you know, the, all, because there is a lot of, you know, I'm, I mean, campies, the, the, the little, the little dinosaurs, um, that, that eat the, the girl at the beginning of Lost World. Like, mm-hmm. remember John Hammond's supposed to be eaten by those at oh, the end. Um, nice. I think the, it's, um, it's not a bad idea, but I think that's an impossible task for any that no one will want to make. I mean, it's like, a, yeah, I, I get it. Cause you because I call it Jurassic Park. I, that's the thing too. It's like we, we would have to call it Jurassic, but it would be a completely different film. I think, I think maybe too close to your point, take the spirit of that, build a new story. Go, and go but, hard, but, but you gotta go, go hard. For that tone. Yeah. Go for that tone. Yeah. Because I mean, there's a lot of so whenever I mean, dude, within the first five pages, because the first five pages of Jurassic Park are in a weird, interesting way, actually kind of like the opening of Jurassic World Dominion, and that it's a lot of reports of mm. of, of these strange reptiles being spotted in different islands right. around uh, uh, Isla Sorna. I always forget Isla Sorna, Isla Nubar. I always forget which one's which. Yeah, One, one's the Lost World, and one's Jurassic Park. I think it's Nublar. And and one of the reports is a uh, woman walking, like like hearing a, a screaming and walking into a bedroom and seeing a dinosaur eating her baby's face. Jeez. Oh, like that's that's one of like that's one of the opening scenes. That's my point. Make a make a horror movie. Make an yeah, go, movie, go nuts. But, but the creature is is a dinosaur. I'm into it. Um, before we move on though, Sean. Yes. Um, I want to add this to our tier list. Where where would you rank it? I would put it at a D. It's not quite an F um, okay. because there were one or two scenes that I found enjoyable, even though the whole thing is just a mess. So right. Kevin, I can't go. I can't go lower than a D. Kevin also has it at a D. Jake, where do you have it? I think you mentioned that. You uh, yeah, I, I, I can't remember what, what I said week. last week, but just just how it's sitting with me. It's, I I'm, I got to say F just because. Okay. I mean. I got to knock a lot of points just because of how easy this movie should have been to yeah. make. Like I'm just like, even though like, yeah, there's the, the the motorcycle chase, which you could argue like, yeah, I might pop that up on YouTube and watch it randomly at work one day. This is the easiest slam dunk in like the history of, of movies. You've got, you've got everything right there and audiences have told you what they want. And somehow you interpreted that as locusts. And clone girls. And I just, how, how do you mess this movie up? There's a moment in the motorcycle chase scene still that rubbed me the wrong way, which was uh, Chris Pratt's zooming around on this motorcycle and he ends up in some kind of a plaza Mm -hmm. uh, where I I don't know the difference between the dinosaurs. I'm going to say it was a T-Rex. And the T-Rex like bites down and picks up a tourist who is eating ice cream as it's walking past. Right. Yeah. Which which then suggested to me that before Chris Pratt showed up, that man (laughs) bought an ice cream and was just walking around as a T-Rex was nearby. Right. Like the the idiocy of that seems like the the person making the movie didn't pay attention to details. We will on that. We'll we'll keep it moving. Uh, Kevin had it added D. Which okay. between the two D's and an F puts us at a D. I, I do participate in the tier list, um, but given our travel over the weekend and, and the Tom Hanks stuff, again, I'm going to plug it next week. Tom Hanks, come on back. Tom Hanks um, is on the show. <laughs> um, I'm going to assume that uh, I will not be any higher than that anyway, given how I've felt about the world franchise in general. Um, so we're going to solidify this as a D. Uh, check the description to get our full D for tier list. 
um, <laughs> ranking. I will say I do plan on on seeing it, um, and hopefully soon. So after I do, if for some reason, let's just say I say it's an A. In, in all in all honesty, how are you going to drag yourself? Like after everything that we said, I know. How are you we'll going see. to drag yourself to go see this movie? My point being, if it's if, it, if it's a drastic change, we'll we'll come back around. I'll update the audience, but but check the um, link in the description for our finalized. Did you say list. if it's a Jurassic change? Jurassic. Oh, Jurassic. Uh, yeah. But hey, <laughs> um, yeah. But anyway, we're so, we're way too t- tired to make jokes so like that. So tired <laughs> right now. <laughs> All right, we're gonna go to an ad break. Um, we're gonna we'll take a nap. On the side. We're gonna take a Light quick year. nap. Lightyear's coming up. We're gonna take a quick nap, uh, and then we're gonna discuss this week in movies, including some really really exciting titles that I know you guys are going to want to hear about. So we'll see you on the other side. A little macaroni and cheese. This episode of Real Blend is brought to you by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Power up your favorite characters and build a team to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and even challenge other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Arena. New ways to battle with your roster are released regularly and the meta is constantly evolving. And now you can sign on for Marvel Strike Force's new Deadpool Anniversary event in order to receive a generous gift containing character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, gear, and other great items. Better yet, each week during the Deadpool anniversary, players can complete events and receive even more special rewards and skins. If you want to get in on all the fun of Marvel Strike Force, be sure to use our promo code MAXPOOL, that's M-A-X-P-O-O-L, and thank you to Marvel Strike Force for supporting the show. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. And we are back. So in limited release, there's a film coming out called Brian and Charles uh, that Gabe was able to check out. uh, Gabe, what is this about? Brian and Charles. Brian and Charles is about a um, sort of this lonely inventor um, in like a small town in uh, England. He's kind of like an awkward, awkward character. uh, And he spends his time building different things. Um, it's shot sort of like a, like a documentary or like a, a mockumentary. He's there with a film crew and it has a very familiar sort of British humor, humor that plays um, along with that. And the story is about him. Uh, he says he wants to build a robot and he's not, um, you know, he, he's not like a genius inventor. He has these very eccentric, weird inventions. If you check out the trailer, you'll see a lot of them. Like one of them, he uh, he's like, oh, this is my egg belt. And he like he has this little belt with a with a thing on it and he flips it up and it's just holding eggs. He's like, it just holds <laughs> eggs like it's it's little weird things, like very specific things um, that are very charming. Um, and is he the uh, I forget I forget the gentleman's name that plays him, but he also helped write it. Um, it's a really fun character and has that sort of awkward British humor that you're probably familiar with. But the story kind of takes off when he says, I'm going to build a robot and he decides to build a robot and uh, named Charles and Charles comes to life. 
Um, and it's about him sort of befriending this robot, teaching teaching him how to do things, um, and sort of the life that they lead together. Uh, I'll leave it at that. More unfolds. Um, it's sort of like a. It's about loneliness. It's it's about um, it's sort of like dealing with like the town bully, which is kind of the fun conflict of it. And it makes room for a cute love story as well. I really enjoyed it. It is a um, I wouldn't say it's a groundbreaking film, but everything that it's trying to do, I think it does really well. And it does a thing that I think is important for any sort of smaller indie movie, which is it it finds its own tone and it's really good at sticking to that. Um, and it feels very creative. Um, and, and even as so far as these inventions that he has are so quirky and eccentric and it sort of reflects what his character is um, in a really great way. And they, they maintain that sort of consistency throughout. I recommend seeing it. Um, and I'll tease. I'll leave this with a tease, a hashtag if it happens. We may. Uh, the plan is to have um, some of the filmmakers on to discuss. Uh, but TBD on that. I think that if you have a chance to see it. Um, and, and you like the sound of that, um, or if you check out the trailer and you like the look of it, the trailer is a good sell on, on what you'll get. Okay. Sounds good. There's two streaming projects coming. Uh, first one coming to HBO max. It is a remake of the 1991 film. I want to say, uh, with Steve Martin called the father of the bride. Jake has had a chance to check that out. Jakey, what, how does it stand? Uh, it's, it is a perfectly pleasant movie um, with it's, it's the kind of movie that within five minutes, if you've seen a movie ever, you can probably figure <laughs> out where it's going to go. Um, so what a it boils movie. down to, yeah. So what it boils, particularly if you've seen the original father of the bride, which is a really fun um, comedy from the early nineties. Look, it, if you're watching this movie, it, you're, it's probably not of great concern to you what ends up happening plot wise. Like I said, you can kind of figure it out. So what it does boil down to is um, the cast and, and the cast here led by Andy, Andy, uh, Andy, Andy Garcia and Gloria Estefan, um, who play the uh, father and mother of the bride. They've just got a great chemistry. The, the supporting cast is all fantastic. Um, it's fun to watch them together. You had no point, you know, do you ever have any doubt that everyone's going to end up with a happy ending, but you just kind of watch it just because you want to see all these people have a good time together. It adds a, you know, a, a, a dose of diversity, um, that, um, you know, wasn't there for the first two films in the, in the early nineties. So HBO max it's, you know, you know, exactly what kind of movie this is. So you can almost judge for yourself whether or not you're going to like it in advance. So, um, Steve Martin in the first movie was doing a very um, overprotective father. Does mm -hmm. Andy Garcia do that? He yeah, that yeah, very much so. He's he's um, very apprehensive about the man that his daughter is marrying. Mm -hmm. um, he's got issues with um, uh, the the in laws who who come in to visit, and the Steve Martin uh, part, the the wedding planner, is no, played. It's Martin played, Short. Uh, yeah, Martin Short. Sorry, Martin yeah, excuse me. Sorry, excuse me. The Martin Short role of the wedding planner is played by another SNL alum, Chloe Feynman, um, who's, oh. who's kind of fun and has a fun, um, you know, spin to it. She kind of does her own thing with that role. There was so, a part of me that I didn't know really who the cast was when I pressed play on the screener. Uh, and there was a part of me that would have loved if they, if they could have gotten Martin Short back. To, yeah, to plan yeah. that, that would have been the thread that like, maybe he was in Miami now um, planning weddings like that because, okay. because he in that part, I think is fantastic. Um, it's, it's fine, man. It's fun. It's cute. I, I, hate, I hate using that word in reviews, but you know what I mean? 
Dude, I love the first Father of the Bride. The first, yeah, it's great. The first Father of the Bride is so charming. Yeah, um, it's incredibly this, well done. This isn't quite as good as that. And good, okay. that being that being said, it's been a long time since I've seen Father of the Bride. Um, yeah. So, but there's nothing. There's nothing wrong with this film. Gabe, can you look up who directed the first Father of the Bride? Because I the feel first like Father it's a Nora Ephron type movie, but I don't think it's Nora Ephron. Um, and while you're doing that, Jake is going to talk about Jerry and Marge go large. Well, you you mentioned Nora Ephron. You remember that time that um, that Tom Hanks brought up Nora Ephron in our interview with him? I do, Jake, and that I don't want to give too much of it away. But he's he's a Before we get too far away fantastic. from it, 1991's Father of the Bride was directed 91. by Charles Shire. Hmm. Okay. Oh, Charles Shire. Doesn't help me at all. Not one bit. Uh, He Uh, did a great job on it. Jerry Large, uh, Jerry and Marge go large. This is Annette Benning and Brian Cranston. And Brian Cranston, yeah. Jerry and Marge go large. uh, um, The Vista Del Mar that we love? It's not, because it's a much better film. I do love Um, that movie. No, uh, I I really, I did really (laughs) like this movie. This movie is very charming. Um, It's very fun. It is um, a true story based on a New York Times article of the same name, in which a man who is just has a knack for numbers, but never truly got to like utilize it in the way that he wanted that could have made his life better, um, retires, doesn't really know what the next step of his life's going to be. His kids try to buy him a boat and he's like, I don't really fish. Like, what am I going to do with a boat? Um, and just in killing time, figures out a loophole in the local lottery that allows him to basically win about every month and he ends up he tells his wife they they do it they they don't just do it and make a lot of money they also like bring in people from their town because they want to make their town a better place so they all kind of start pulling in but then at the same time and this really happened in the uh, in the article uh at the same time a group of kids at mit also figured out the loophole and it also so it kind of kind of turns into a battle between the people of this small town and who are these kids who are kind of um, portrayed as these, these bratty MIT kids. And uh, it's very fun. Annette Benning and Cranston are very charming together. Rain Wilson plays a really funny um, uh, vendor at a, at a convenience store where they buy the lottery tickets. Cause they have to sit there. Uh, Cause they, I think they print, uh, the, the the lottery ticket machines print a thousand an hour, and to pull this this scheme off, sometimes they have to buy upwards of eight, nine, ten thousand tickets um, per drawing to make it work. And uh, it's just, it's very fun. It's very charming. I I liked it quite a bit actually. Okay, that's on Paramount Plus. Yeah, I would give it. A, I guess if we're doing like the out of five, which I know we do sometimes, it for me it's a it's a three and a half out of five. Oh, okay. That's right there. Uh, there's a movie I want everybody to pay attention to called Cha Cha Real Smooth, yes. which is a Terrible title uh, for a very, <laughs> very charming movie uh, starring a guy named Cooper Rafe, who is the writer, director and leading. Wait, did he direct it? He directed it, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and the leading man. Uh, and it's one of these. The best way to describe it is a um, <clears throat> Sundance-esque uh, indie film that is written by a filmmaker who has a very personal story to tell him and wears its heart on its sleeve. I would relate it almost to uh, when Zach Braff came around with Garden State. Mm, uh, and that's a cool, that's a good comparison. A few other really good examples of, of filmmakers who have a unique voice and they get uh, they get someone of note uh, to co-star alongside of them, the way Natalie Portman co-starred in Garden State. In this case, it's Dakota Johnson. And it's about um, a guy who is uh, graduated from college, is living at home and ends up taking a job <clears throat> as as someone who is a a party 
planner or party starter, essentially. There's a slew of bar mitzvahs that are happening uh, in their town. And at these bar mitzvahs, these kids are almost like too intimidated to get up and be social. And because this guy is so charming and effervescent, uh, he tends to work the party and go around and get everybody out of their chairs and get them dancing uh, and, and get them interacting on a social level. And he essentially gets hired by a lot of these families just to be that guy. And over the course of of attending these, he starts to fall for um, a mom who is showing up at all of these with her uh, daughter, daughter, son, son. It's been a while since I've seen her daughter smooth. Her daughter. Thank you very much, Jake. Um, thank you very much. <laughs> and, and those two are going to be inseparable next week. But the but Dakota Johnson's character, who is this who plays the mom, has a few issues that are going on. that I don't want to get into necessarily. I'll leave them for you to, to, to describe. Um, and, you know, it starts to dabble a little bit into their age difference and whether or not that they should be together or not. Um, but it's it's not overly dramatic. It's not one mm-hmm. of these ones that's got that's hiding a, an emotional wallop. Uh, it, it's very realistic, uh, stays along the surface and it's just really entertaining. I mean, I was super entertained by uh, the personality of this kid, Cooper Rafe, who I just think mm-hmm. is is has a ton of screen presence. If he figures out what he can do with himself as a performer, uh, I think can go on to, to do really, really big things. Um, and even if nothing else comes of him from this, this is an incredibly charming movie that I think anybody can sort of put on and really, really enjoy. <clears throat> and uh I just wish I had a better title. <laughs> the title needs. You know, it's to funny you say that because whenever I, because I've covered because he he came in my studio and uh, whenever I talk about the title, everyone at work goes like, "Oh, I love that!" They're like, oh, "I love that title." Oh, really? Yeah. Funny. Yeah, it's just. It's I mean, just but then, but then the problem is that the people ask me, "Oh, what does the title have to do with the the movie?" And I just go, "Not nothing." Not, <laughs> I, mean, I, I guess if he parts, if he starts the party, maybe they chush out real smooth. Like that's yeah, 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 that's yeah. it. I guess. Yeah. Um. Yeah, Sean, I'm with you too. I I, I like this movie quite a bit. Um. It's, it's, you know, it's funny. I feel like there is this narrative being pushed um, because it's followed a very similar trajectory as Coda and that it mm. did very well at Sundance. And then Apple came in and snatched it up for an obscene amount of money. And so I feel like there is this pressure for it to sort of be the next Coda, which it isn't. It, it doesn't no. quite pack like the feels that Coda does. And that's not, it's fault. Like it was never, it was not made to be the next coda and it's not its fault that it's followed, you know, a, a similar trajectory. Um, you know, if, if Apple bought it with the intention of winning best picture, then they might be in trouble. Um, but you know, I, I liked just sort of stepping into the lives of these characters. You know, it's, it's very much about like that really interesting time of your life post-college where like, you're not quite sure where you're going to go or what you're meant to do or what your path is. And then, Imagine for a moment you think you have found a path or that you found people that you want your path to be with. And for a quick moment, you have this hope that, okay, I'm not lost anymore. I'm going this way. But then all of a sudden that path goes, ah, you can't, you can't come this way. This is not it. And then what do you do? Um, And, and, and that, I think there, there are just a lot of relatable aspects, even if you haven't been in the exact sort of scenario of this. Um, and, and so, yeah, everyone in the film, you know, Dakota, Dakota is fantastic. Cooper's fantastic. Um, uh, the, uh, it's for, I can't think of her name. Forgive me. The, the young actress who plays Dakota's uh, daughter is incredible. Um, even, um, Cooper's parents are played by, uh, Leslie Mann and, and, um, uh, Brad Garrett and, and they're, they're great together. Um, 
and, and so, and sort of smaller supporting roles, smart script. It, it's the kind of movie that I, that makes me excited to see what Cooper does next. I guess I would say. Okay. So this says, uh, cha-cha real smooth refers to DJ Casper's dance hit. Cha-cha slide. <laughs> A bar mitzvah staple released in 2000. So it looks like Rafe's off kilter forehead slapping titles are here to stay. But but did they ever play that song in the movie? They definitely did. Yes, they do. I know that it's one of the ones that that he uses to get the kids out of their seats uh, at an early bar mitzvah, which probably turns some of the parents onto the fact that like, oh, this guy would be great to bring to the next one. And because he has nothing else going on in his life, he just starts to show up at these bar mitzvahs. And okay. uh, it's really funny. It's one yeah. of those movies that like you would have heard the buzz on at Sundance. And then when it came around to you, you would have checked it out and you would have said like, oh, this is all it is. But it's not. It's better than that. Like yeah. it's it's that kind of movie, but but done really, really well. And so, so I would, I've, I've had more than a few people be like, well, you know, it's gone. This is the same same path as Coda. And I go, you you got to stop that. Yeah, you got to stop the really Coda comparison. Unfair. Yes, yeah, that's, that's very unfair. A, that's not a fair comparison for this. Um, okay, so that's Cha Cha Real Smooth that is playing in limited theaters and uh, is going to be on Apple TV Plus if you have access to that. Uh, on Netflix, this used to be a this week in movie theaters and now it's this week in streaming because of the number of pictures that go there. Uh, Spiderhead is Joe Kaczynski's follow up, sort of, to Top Gun Maverick. Uh, it just happens to be the next movie he made after, but is coming out very shortly after Top Gun because of Maverick's delays. Am I the only one who saw Spiderhead? You guys haven't seen Spiderhead? Jake? No, didn't get the no, junket. Didn't get the, oh, sorry. All right, never mind. Well, anyway, so Spiderhead. How do I describe it? Um, essentially, Spiderhead is set in a, we think, not so distant future. It kind of is vague with its details about when it takes place. Like next Wednesday? Um, yeah. Not exactly. so distant. And there is a, <laughs> there's a prison um, in an island location. It's surrounded by water. Uh, it's also surrounded by the forest and the inmates uh, you learn over the course of the time have agreed to uh, allow themselves to participate in an experiment for a drug that Chris Hemsworth's character has created. Um, and he refers to it often as the love drug. And he administers it to people. Uh, it's called N40. And he wants to monitor their reactions afterwards to find out if this drug can be used to help people fall in love with each other if the if it only works when the drug is administered if the after effects will linger and the person will continue to have uh, feelings for for them after the fact Um, and so in order to test the strength of the love drug they also inject them with other things that test uh hate and fear uh and anger Uh, And all these other different emotions to see if they can bring them back around to the love drug. And so some of the convicts that are um, in in the program, Miles Teller is one of them. Journey Smollett is one of them. And over the course of the experiments, you start to learn um, the things that they did to get them into this prison. And some of them are really, really surprising and, and very, very depressing. You start to realize what happened to Hemsworth that even put him on this path to do these experiments. Um, and then, of course, in true movie fashion, everything starts to to uh, implode on on the experiment and on the prison. And how many ways can this go wrong? Um, I found it really, really fascinating. It's the the screenplay is by uh, Rhett Reese and Paul Wernick, who wrote the, the Deadpool films. Um, and so it's it's very smart. It's very funny. Uh, it's one of Chris Hemsworth's most interesting 
parts, he has a ton of dialogue. Uh, he has to be the guy who is constantly moving the experiments forward. Um, and you never know whether he's manipulating people or or if he's truly invested in, in these uh, experiments that are going on. Miles Teller is is really interesting, more interesting than I've necessarily seen him because he has a very tragic backstory that you start to figure out. And the more that, he, that they dive into that, the better he is. Journey Smollett is outstanding because there are times when like in order to earn Chris Hemsworth's trust, Miles Teller gets brought into the experiment and then he has to make decisions about whether things are going to get done to the other inmates. And that becomes really, really uncomfortable. Um, it's deep science fiction. It really is uh, weighty and and uh, it gets into really interesting societal discussions. But the presence of like just the location is bizarre. And when I got a chance to do the junket and speak to Miles Teller and I kind of asked him, like, um, you know, could, could Joe Kaczynski essentially give you anything at this point now and you would do it with him? He said, well, this in particular, because of the way that Kaczynski uh, built science fiction worlds in Oblivion and Tron Legacy. Uh, so it's it's closer in tone to those two films and the way that uh, Joe Kaczynski constructs a world that you've not seen before. Uh, and it has a lot of surprises waiting for you around each turn. So I will tell you that you're going to have to get about good, a good 30 minutes, 45 minutes into it before you really start to feel like you understand what's going on. It's a movie that plunges you right into it. Uh, and you're going to play a lot of catch up as you're as you're playing through it. But that's OK. I'm OK with a movie like that. I don't mind. I don't mind really paying close attention and figuring out what the heck is going on. Uh, I love the production design of it. Uh, he does really strange things where like the majority of the score is 80s, mu 80s music. Um, so you're again, not quite sure when when it is or where this is. Uh, and Hemsworth just kind of crushes it. He's super charismatic as a potential maybe cult leader um, and is just really dialed into the dialogue. So. It's called Spiderhead. It's on Netflix, and uh, I would definitely give it a shot. Just stick with it. I can understand if you punch out a little bit early. It's very strange. Um, but if you stay with it, you're going to be rewarded. So how long is it? Probably two hours. Okay. Probably, just, probably just shy of two hours, but um, but worth it. Definitely worth it. And really, really entertaining. You're, and, you're uh, honestly, your description of it actually intrigued me. Yeah, I think you should give it a shot. Um, I can't wait to it, interview the kid. Oh, wait. Never mind. Sheesh. Sorry about that. Don't worry. I'll uh, interview the cast of our next move. Oh wait. No, oh hell, then it's not gonna. Well, that's that's light year. So uh, Pixar. Pixar. Let me, just, let me just mute my microphone since I've got nothing to say here. Pixar has a new film out called Lightyear. Gabe, did you see Lightyear? You I did Lightyear? see Lightyear. Oh, terrific. Okay. Um, Lightyear. I know a lot of people were confused at the premise of Lightyear and asking like, what what exactly is this movie? And then it's really funny that they're like. Three title have, cards. Yeah. Go ahead, yeah, yeah. Go, ahead, go ahead. Well, no, I was go go ahead and keep explaining because I was curious thinking this over in my head. I was like, well, how much how much into the movie did we start to feel spoilers? Because there was one aspect that I felt very surprised by. Oh. Uh, maybe I just didn't watch enough of the trailers or the marketing to know. Okay. Um, continue describing it though. I think you the well, so a lot of people were like, Well, what is this movie? What is it based on? And when they knew that like the toy of Buzz Lightyear that Andy has, um, was a representation of something, but some people maybe got confused and thought that like Buzz Lightyear was an actual person, like maybe uh maybe an astronaut of some sort, and this is a toy that's like based the, on him. Like the Buzz Aldrin of, of that Ex world. Yes, exactly. But instead, the opening title cards for Lightyear just says in 1995, Andy um had a toy from his favorite movie. Uh this is that movie. So it's like if, awesome. if Andy had gone to the theater to watch a movie called Lightyear. 
And he would have said, like, this is amazing. And then he came home and bought the toy from his favorite movie. And the toy was Buzz Lightyear. So in this one, it's Chris Evans. And Chris Evans is just a character in a movie. And it's a science fiction movie. And and it's a it's a movie that Andy at that age would love. And so Pixar made a, a sci-fi movie that teenagers would adore. It's essentially their excuse, in my opinion, to make their Star Wars. Like, it's just them doing Star Wars. And it has all the elements that become interesting uh, and tied to Buzz, which is uh, the presence of Zerg as a villain and uh, the reasons why Zerg is a villain. It has um, his connections to uh, Star Command and it has the uh, the Junior Rangers and all these things that come with with Buzz. And, uh, and it's Chris Evans doing Tim Allen doing Buzz Lightyear. And it's it's really, really great. I loved it. I really had such a great time with it. It's it's a Pixar movie that that unlike their most recent ones, which have aspired to a lot deeper conversation, something like Soul, um, which was obviously talking about the afterlife. This to me was just from start to finish a pure uh, blast of entertainment, uh, science fiction, roller coaster ride. With a bunch of jokes, a lot of funny characters. Uh, I loved Chris Evans's Buzz, and uh, I, I had a great, great time. I also think I thought it looked fantastic. I thought it's one did of you, those films that did you get to see it in IMAX? I didn't see it in IMAX, oh. but I will say that because I have the the new TV downstairs, I, I just can't wait for it to be on 4K. Yeah, I can't. I can't wait for it to be on 4K. I think it's gonna look incredible. So, um, I I am close to a five out of five out of this. Uh, I I want to see it one more time before I see if it got that sure. far. But um, where are you? What you what do you think of it? I agree. I absolutely love this movie. And I think you're you're right in that this feels like um, it's not that it doesn't have it has a great emotion and characters go through really emotional things. And, and it has that to it. But, you, you know, you pointed out soul is like, let's tackle the afterlife. It, it isn't that in that it's very much a, a really great science fiction adventure. And I don't want I don't want us to undersell it by saying that it's it's Pixar doing Star Wars and that it is and that it, in the genre that it's in. But it's not like it's pulling the Star Wars formula or the Star mm. Wars story. It creates this really fun, energetic, I think, unique um, storyline that that it takes you through. And in, and in true Pixar fashion, it it's able to take sort of modern pop culture or modern storytelling and use the audience's understanding of that to 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 have its own twist on it or to sort of quickly use it to get itself in this situation. I will review the trailers if this is I don't know if this is a spoiler or not. But what I'm what I'm pointing to is that there's a there's a, a, a sort of a crux of the first act that gets us into the rest of the movie um, is basically the time dilation from Interstellar. Like like that that mechanic that Interstellar spent so much time explaining and had so many people sort of ruminating over and figuring out how that works like and had you know, they had their own little moment for it. They're able to like quickly explain it and know that the audience is going to understand it. And then allow that mechanic to sort of jettison the rest of, no pun intended, the rest of the, the story for her, which I love. I think Pixar is just, they're always going to turn in a really tight film um, that is well told. And they do this. And the fact that it's, uh, the premise alone, like, gets me excited. Like, when you see those title cards, this is that movie. That's so mm-hmm. cool. I find that so cool. And it feels like a movie from that era. It feels informed by um, sort of the cinema of that time. And I will mention to, to, to truly fill in for Kevin's uh, shoes. Um, 
They this is the from what I understand this is the first film ever animated for IMAX, Correct. where they quite literally storyboard and animated and and drew it and and quote unquote shot it um, to fill an IMAX screen, and it is awesome. It is really cool to see this clean kind of animation and this style at that scale, especially when it's you know you're in space and and things like that. Um, it's really great, and I had a ton of fun. Um, if I were to give it, if I were to give it an out of five rating, I, I don't really see why I would give it anything less than a five. For me personally, you know, I'm not as I'm not as um, prone to those. You know, I don't love giving those ratings. But for me, it's it, it's it's perfect to me. It's it was exciting, edge of your seat fun, um, and it's a really cool way to sort of take something from Toy Story and make it its own, and 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 in doing so, flesh out more of that world, which is cool. Did you? I thought of. Maverick doing the Mach 10 scenes. Oh, yeah, yeah. 100%. Yeah, it's funny how those mirror each other. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, very much so. So uh, it's a good time at the uh, at the theaters lately for for pilots, pilots who are trying to test. Well, again, it it goes to show like how that how how where they have that set in the 90s. This film was influenced by the original Top Gun. Like this this film sure. has that as context of like what an exciting scene in the cockpit of a ship is. You now, know, if the aliens pull Mach 10 and Nope, we're going to be like, OK, something's going on. Something's happening. Something's <laughs> happening. <laughs> All right. Let's take one more ad break before we head into our blend game. Uh, pay some bills and we'll see you guys on the other side. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And we are back heading into this week's blend game. Uh, normally we have a reason. Why do we pick Gus Van Sant? Um, It's Pride Month. That's a, that's a good enough reason. Oh, but also, um, what's random? Usually it's around a release or a time of year. Um, and uh, and I get to pick something off the top of my head. And during Pride Month, I was like, oh, you know, Gus Van Sant, when's the next time he's going to come out with a movie? Let's just uh, celebrate his career now. Then Love let's it. start with you, Gabe Kovach. What did you okay. choose for... Hashtag Gus Van Sant blend. Do you pronounce it Van Sant? Or Gus, you Van Sant? It? Gus Van Sant? Van, it's Van Sant, Van Sant. Right? Yeah, Whatever Sean right. says, probably say the opposite. <laughs> I've always heard Van Sant, but I also, it could just always have been pronounced. The, the, the guy wrong, in so. uh, 
and Jane Silent Bob Strike Back is Van Sant. Is he really? I don't know. Oh, but that's uh, okay. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. That's a great gotcha. joke because that would be a great inside joke if that's what they. <laughs> anyway, so I I didn't overcomplicate this. Um, he he is a filmmaker that there are some holes. Looking over his filmography, there there are some holes that I need to fill, especially like his stuff that's come out in the last like ten years or so. Hmm. Um, I haven't checked out, but he's a fantastic filmmaker. And so I kept it simple um, and went with Goodwill Hunting um, for all the obvious reasons. Jake did as well. Uh, Sean, did you pick Goodwill Hunting as well? Okay, so all three of us picked Goodwill Hunting, <laughs> um, and it's no in no way, shape, or form would it ever be a wrong answer for anyone involved with Goodwill Hunting. It's yeah. um, arguably well Robin Williams' best performance. Do we think? Um, um, I would argue a couple of other ones, but I'm with you. So it's, it's arguably. It's argue, a, I would yeah. say arguably. Yeah, I mean, it's it's in the conversation. Work. Um, his performance is incredible. Uh, Matt and Ben are incredible. The story is great. Um, and, and I love the sort of behind the scenes story about them convincing Gus to, to make it. Um, it is a quintessential American film at this point. And, uh, yeah, celebrating a 25th anniversary this year. I won't say too much. I'll try to leave as much on the table for you guys to discuss. That's a good fact, but I will, I'll use my time to point something out while we're talking about Gus Van Sant, which I'm curious how you guys feel about this, um, which is his, his version of psycho. And I've always appreciated it for a specific reason. Cause I feel like it was a case study and it sort of, it sort of took it off the table for everyone else moving forward of, well, if you remake something that's that old and for a modern audience, what if we were just to remake it shot for shot? Would it, does that work? You know, like, like to me, it felt like it, that it worked as a case study of, uh, it a doesn't, trial. it doesn't. Yes. It, it, again, that's why I say it's, you know, I'm curious about people cause no one likes it. And I, I wonder if anyone who made it really likes it, but it commits to truly remaking. Um, it's more of a remaster yeah. of, mm-hmm. of psycho. Um, and I always found that, to me, that always validated its existence, I guess, is what I'm getting at. I always found that interesting oh. and and um, and a fun thing. So I wanted to mention that while we're here, because I thought that's I think that's a really interesting film to be made. Yeah, I, I won't fault him for trying it, because I, like you said, if you're going to experiment on something and to see whether it works or not, then why not? You know, like that's right. it's I feel I, I don't know. I was going to say it's almost less sacrilege than if someone tried to remake Jaws shot for shot, but it isn't really. I mean, they're almost on the same level, um, but I'm not offended by Gus Van Sant's uh, attempt at doing Psycho. And to be honest with you, I've only seen it the one time. Yeah. Uh, and it's been, a, be long, it's been I, a long time ago. Up until last week, I kind of forgot it existed. Yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I, I would like to almost pull it off the shelf and, and re- do I have it up there? I kind of wonder if I have it up there. Um, uh, here, here's the thing. This is one of the other reasons why I almost didn't choose Goodwill Hunting, although it's it's that such an incredible me. movie. Only because if I'm listing the reasons why Goodwill Hunting is as good as mm, it is, okay, he's fourth or fifth. And so if I'm playing Gus Van Sant blend, but could you make the argument? Because I agree with you, but I also feel like in a weird way as a director, he's aware of that. And steps back and just lets it be an actor's film written by actors. And, and, you know, it's a great screenplay that the actors understand. So he kind of doesn't need to inject himself too much into the filmmaking process. And I feel like I want to give him props for recognizing the genius he's working with and kind of just rolling with that's it and not, and not feeling the need to like well, put his stamp on this and, movie and not to take any credit away from 
uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, but but like they were new, like they were green. Like we, in retrospect, we look at it like, oh wow, right out the gate, mm. you know, Oscar winners. They they were great writers and they were awesome performers, yeah. and they continue to be some of our greater actors. But we don't know. We don't necessarily know how much of that is what they learned from Gus about acting, you know, or the direction that that he gave. I think I think um, maybe you're right in that he had he was surrounded by people who just needed to be allowed to work. And that's a part Mm -hmm. of directing is knowing, knowing when to shut up and let the magic happen. Um, But I also think there's room there for, for him to have been incredibly influential in who they are as performers. I mean, obviously they wrote the script um, and we know that they're great writers, but yeah, I I think he deserves plenty of credit given, given how new they were um, and And, maybe unsure that project could have been in the moment. uh, Sean, Gabe mentioned, you know, we're debating where this falls in the, in the Pantheon that is Robin Williams, incredible career. Mm -hmm. Whether or not you think it's first is is up for debate, but for me, dollar for dollar, the single best scene Robin Williams has ever done was the scene on the bench oh. with uh, Matt Damon. The you know, uh, I, there's there's nothing that you know that I can't learn from a book scene. The mm-hmm. the you know you don't you know you can tell me all kind of facts about the Sistine Chapel. You don't know what it smells like. Mm-hmm. You you can tell me every fact about Vietnam, but you don't know what it's like to hold your buddy after he's been shot and he's dying in your arms. You mm-hmm. know, like that to me, that is one of the best written and best acted scenes. I think I've, not to be be uh, a man of hyperbole. That's uh, that's one of the best acted and, and written scenes I think I've ever seen in my entire life. See, and in in the same movie, I go back to the it's not your fault scene. Oh, that's I mean, oh. they're, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's filled with great scenes. Yeah. And those two are some of the most emotional. And and it's also such a great. I feel like we don't talk about this enough. The plot is great. Mm -hmm. Like just the idea of the movie is brilliant. The idea uh, is that in, in anyone else's hands, that movie gets flipped to turn Will into a hero. Mm-hmm. Right. Like um, that he's going to figure out a way to circumvent the system and, and come out on top sort of mm-hmm. thing um, and not be dragged through the mud mm-hmm. and not be shown that his worldview is extremely short sighted despite being a genius. Right. Like it keeps uh, its thumb on him mm-hmm. throughout the course of the entire movie so that this this experienced professor <laughs> Uh, can can show him that like he still has so much life left to lead. And that's why it's actually the beautiful scene is is the one that Kevin Smith pulls out all the time, which is uh, Affleck pulling up to the house and realizing yes. that he's not going to be there. That, yes. that that one day Damon's not going to be there. Because that's because that's all he wanted. All he wanted was to show up and have him not there. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, it's, it's interesting because it makes so many choices that a normal film wouldn't make. And they're all right. so spot on. You're absolutely all, right. Yeah. So it's great. It's tremendous from that. And so I guess in that instance, I'll give Gus Van Sant credit for being the person who shepherds all of that. Because yeah. you're right, a, a director who who over influences that material can can knock it off, off knock it off of its track. But yeah. but goddamn, it's it's some some of the best performances I've seen in a film. It, it, the, the one I guess I would compare it back to or go back to compare it to is how much credit do I give Rob Reiner for A Few Good Men, which has an Aaron Sorkin screenplay and a cast of heavy hitters. Um, but is it just Rob Reiner keeping? Yeah, that's so much more involved, I feel like, though. There's so many more layers to, you know, the 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 intricacies of that trial and that Mm -hmm. that court case. I feel like it's just a little bit more 
complicated. Like if anything, and granted, he doesn't quit, but, but also too, like Rob, Ron, I wouldn't even say like Rob Reiner has a style, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, we always, whenever we talk about our favorite, you know, our favorite directors of all time, they have this quintessential style and sometimes great directors just make great movies. You mm-hmm. know, you, I don't think anyone can say that Rob Reiner is not a great director when you look at the movies that he's directed, yeah. but I, I couldn't tell you what his style is, what his, his cinematic fingerprint is. And sometimes directors just don't have that. Well, let's find out if Kevin McCarthy made it four for four uh, and chose Goodwill Hunting. He chose Psycho. His Gus Van Sant pick. Uh, here's Kevin's pick for hashtag Gus Van Sant blend. Hey, guys, uh, fellow members of the Chuckle Club. Uh, I'm here in San Francisco. Obviously, I wasn't able to do the show this week. Uh, a buddy of mine decided to get married out here in San Francisco. I, weirdly enough, had two best friends who wanted to get married on the west coast in a matter of three weeks so i had seattle two weeks ago saw you guys in memphis for that incredible interview that we'll discuss uh, i'm assuming next week with tom hanks and then now i'm in san francisco but gus van sant uh blend you know this is i feel like the obvious choice here is global hunting which is the choice i'm going to go with but it, mine comes with a bit of an asterisk in terms of kind of what it means to me i First of all, I saw this movie when I was 13 or 14 years old. Um, My Robin Williams experience prior to that had been primarily comedies and Jumanji and uh, Mrs. Doubtfire, even though it had grounded drama, very heavy drama, actually, in that film, and Aladdin. And I just, I don't think I had ever seen Robin Williams in an R-rated film before. I was trying to remember the specifics of it, but... That screenplay that Ben Affleck and Matt Damon wrote was an incredible achievement. Obviously, they won the Academy Award for it. But, you know, there are lines in that film that are just as famous as some of the most famous lines in the history of movies. And and obviously, Good Bull Hunting plays into that because it's an Academy Award winner in that sense. And I... I just remember seeing Robin Williams in this. I already knew he had good dramatic chops, but it was the first time in my life that I realized truly how like how brilliant of a dramatic actor he was. Um, Mrs. Doubtfire, for me as a kid, played differently as it did as I got older. Um, but obviously, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck are fantastic. Mini Driver. It's it's just a film that like holds up. I think Gus, in, in terms of like thematics and kind of what they're what what the story is about. I haven't seen it actually in years, so I don't really know. I want to sit down and watch it again because it's been a while. But the asterisk it comes with for me is Global Hunting 2 hunting season. And while that might sound like a joke, I want to preface it by saying that is all tied together in my mind about Goodwill Hunting. Um, and also remember the joke in Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back, Gus Van Sant, Matt Damon, and Ben Affleck are all in, in on the bit. Um, for Gus Van Sant to be sitting off camera jokingly counting his money, just, you know, it, it, it gave you a sense of approval that because, you know, Good Bull Hunting is a relatively serious film with serious thematics um, and hunting season and the applesauce bit is just great. So, listen, I, I think it's his masterpiece. I think Gus Van Sant comes with a uh, an aspect to his filmmaking that I generally I will watch anything he does because I know the choices he's going to make are incredible. So my pick is uh, Good Bull Hunting. If you haven't seen Jane Solid Bob Strike Back. Highly recommend the Goodwill Hunting 2 hunting season sequence. My favorite thing Kevin Smith has ever written. And Affleck and Damon are so great in it. And obviously the original scene that they're playing off of in that movie um, is is fantastic. All right. Um, real quick before I go, Lightyear, loved it. Uh, I want to tell the audience listening, uh, if you do have a chance, Lightyear is, I believe, the first animated movie or definitely the first Pixar movie that's going to jump to 143 IMAX. They framed the entire film 
in that aspect ratio and then cut it down for the normal widescreen and the 190 that you normally get at a movie theater IMAX. Um, but if you do live in an area like LA City Walk or um, even here, here in San Francisco, the AMC Metreon or even the Udvar Hazi out in the DC area, you will get those full jumps, those 143, this the same aspect ratio that Nolan uses or, or Denis Villeneuve just used in Dune. Um, when they jump into hyperspeed. So, and Michael Giacchino's score, I loved it. So, I love you guys. I miss you guys. Um, can't believe what happened in Memphis. It's kind of shocking and uh, excited that we're going to be able to share that next week with the show. Love you guys. Miss you guys, genuinely. See you guys. I look at the audience picks. Uh, at Helizer went with Drugstore Cowboy. John Palmer said Finding Forrester, which is a really great film. I don't think I realized that Finding Forrester was Ghost Van Sant. I don't think I knew that either, but I know that it is a really good film yeah. that I very much enjoyed. And I just lost uh, my earpiece. Uh, Rachel Ho mm-hmm. and Alex Trevino went with my own private Idaho. Uh, very stylistic uh, early entry film from Gus Van Sant and a terrific performance by um, River Phoenix. Of course, Darth 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 Grogu said Elephant. Uh, and then a ton of people went with uh, Goodwill Hunting, including Johnny and Mia and Cecilia and Harry Lichtman and many, many others. And I also started to see some love for uh, for a film that I almost chose, which is Milk. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love Milk. Yeah. Terrific story. Outstanding performances by Sean Penn and Josh Brolin. Uh, uh, I, uh, I, I maybe like thinking about Milk because you're spot on about the performances makes me think that like maybe gus's style is that he is an actor's director could be like he yeah. knows when to let the actor take control because yeah. that's a that's a pretty big ensemble cast much like goodwill hunting yeah you're absolutely right and you know it's interesting because like soderbergh will take on a ton of really talented ensembles but still figure out a way to bring some of his own flair mm-hmm. to it at that point um but yeah that might that might just be gus van Sant's. Gabe, can you look up what Gus Van Sant's like most recent film is? Because I feel like has he not um, made one in a while? He he has one. When I was looking, he has one in development right now. Let me pull this up. Uh, da, 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 vamp while my computer. He sadly loading. feels like one of those directors that is getting squeezed out. That is, you know, b- potentially bringing films to streaming services and not being able to get something that goes to a theater. In so the way that- so Milk was two thousand eight. Uh, gotcha. Two thousand eleven. He did a film called Restless. Um, and then he directed an episode of a series called boss in 2011 as well. 2012, um, he did a documentary called my own private river, which I assume is a documentary about working with river Phoenix. I can only imagine, um, the sea of trees in 2015. This is what I was saying. Things I haven't seen 2012 promised land. I never watched promised land. Okay. Um, and then he has some documentaries, TV miniseries. Um, but he has a, a film called the prince of, fashion in pre-production okay. at the moment. I'd, I'd be lying if I said I didn't have some it looks Gus like Will, Van Sant blind spots. Will Ferrell. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think I have to catch up on a number of those. Um, all right, for next week, you're not going to have a lot of blind spots for next week's guest as we play hashtag Tom Hanks blend. So I don't know if you guys have heard, uh, but we got Tom Hanks on the show and uh, he's going to be joining us for 30 minutes uh, in next week's episode. Uh, but but I will point out that we have played Tom Hanks blend when we did best. But this time we're going to go with favorite. So let yes. us know your pick. 
via uh, email, railblend.cinemablend.com. You can also use the hashtag on social media. Hashtag Tom Hanks blend. Hey, Gabe, whenever we send the tweet out about it next week, um, we should include the awesome picture that we took with Tom Hanks whenever Tom Hanks was on the show. It's a great picture. I'll think about it's a great it. picture with Tom I'll Hanks because of that day that Tom Hanks was on the show. Yeah. And I'd like to point out that it was all of our second interview with Tom that day. It's true. Yeah. yeah we had him for with, television with Tom then, Hanks. Uh, then we had him for 30 minutes on the podcast. So uh, I, I'm telling you, you guys are going to love this one. I know I say that. It's often, incredible. But this one's really, really great. Okay, it's, one of those eh, it's OK. <laughs> After the Tom Hanks episode, I want everybody who's listening to this to to drop us a review. Uh, email us a review at realblendedcinemablend.com go to Apple Podcasts <laughs> not after this one because we're tired and we did our this, best no, not this one please. we really tried this was uh, <laughs> I'm glad we didn't charge you guys for this one uh, leave us a rating on Spotify <laughs> we're tell about us, to uh, record one we're going to charge you for tell a friend that they need to be listening to this show spread the word uh, and thank you as always for supporting uh, Real Blend we, you guys, we cannot tell you uh, how much we appreciate you guys tuning in it was it was it was really fun you know to post things on social media uh and post that we got tom hanks and to see the 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 amount of support that we got from people who were really really excited to see that the show got him as a guest and uh and people being really excited to hear the interview which you guys will be able to hear next week on our next premium episode as gabe had mentioned it's a mailbag so uh again check the descriptions uh here where the podcast is listed for ways that you can sign up for our premium service. In the meantime, follow us on social media at Jake's takes at Kevin McCarthy TV at Sean underscore O'Connell at Gabe Kovach. And the show itself is at real blend. We will talk to you guys next week um, with a very special episode. And so until then, catch me if you can catch me. If you and can. we did, we did catch him because we could. Oh yeah, that's right. He's in that one. Too. <laughs> <laughs> at Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a 25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR.